All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of We All Speak in Poems. Today, we're very excited to be sitting down with composer, pianist, and photographer Luke Howard. How are you, Luke? Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, thanks. How are you guys going? Yeah. We're good. Yeah. We're great. Yeah. Uh, we have so many questions. And, yeah. you know, I've been listening to you for years now. And back then, it was really easy for you to become one of my favorite composers so thank you for sitting down with us it's uh, it's a a pleasure absolutely like it's really cool but (laughs) i guess yeah we should start with your your uh new album at the time of this chat uh you've announced your new album all of us which will be out march 11th and uh 2022 2022 (laughs) (laughs) and uh you've only released one single as of you know this recording uh which is called the opening of the gates uh which is just so amazing and inspiring it's so good but uh when did this album sort of come to start being worked on when did it sort of popped into your uh, head so it's kind of even though i've released a bunch of records with mercury kx it's um technically like my second proper album that i had to deliver for them and um uh and i you know they started started like thing like so when's this album gonna come out Uh, probably probably a good couple of years ago but i sort of started in earnest, um, you know, probably around March of 2020, I, I reckon. I spent a lot of time trying to think of a concept, you know, because I've, I've made so many records that are just a bunch of tunes and after after a while you just end up making the same record. And it can, be, and it can also be harder to, like, communicate. Well, well, flip it. It's a lot easier to communicate an album that has a story behind it. And this is vaguely related to Camus' The Plague, but, I mean, it also has, you know, it's an artifact of being written in a time where I couldn't really go to a studio and couldn't really leave the house. And I'm sure, like, every album that's going to be released in 2022 is going to have a similar story behind it. (laughs) But um, so I did kind of, uh, you know, I mean, we were in and out of lockdown, so it was kind of spotty. I could go into the studio sometimes and... uh, and not other times. And since building a studio, I don't have a piano at home. So a lot of it was written, uh, in 2020, um, with a dinky little, you know, plastic USB keyboard in my, in my flat. Um, and then, uh, I had a few, you know, a couple of opportunities to go to actually all the piano stuff I just recorded at my friend's place because he had a, had a nice piano, but it was all, it was, it was all sort of done spottily and rather informally um, just because of the whole situation. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess, you know, it makes it's, it, that's one thing that's been maybe challenging this record. You know, often if you do go and record an album in a studio, you have a, there's a, like a real experience associated with it of making a record. Yeah. Um, but it kind of felt that I was maybe robbed a bit of that this time because it was sort of, yeah, it was the piano stuff was done real quick and everything else was done in the computer and the strings were done remotely because there was no chance mm-hmm. of recording string orchestra in Melbourne. So, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. But, um, you know, I'm hoping it hangs together. Well, <laughs> well the, the listening public <laughs> will be the judge of that. For sure, for sure. I'm sure it'll be great. So the album is um, completely done now or do you kind of write up until that deadline of when it's you know about to come out yeah i mean it's pretty the deadlines particularly with you know to us sort of hinting before we started um back in the old days when you release music yourself and you just hit the uh go button on Bandcamp, like 
you can make a change up until the last minute, but um, there's a lot longer lead time with a label. And also it's just an artifact of vinyl. You know, if you want to do vinyl, as I'm sure you guys know, like takes like six months out or whatever and (laughs) shipping's all messed up right now and there's paper, shortages of paper. And so everything had to be finished quite a while ago. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's (laughs) probably, which is good because you need to have a deadline. Is there anything I would change? Um, Yeah, maybe there would be, but I haven't listened. (laughs) I haven't listened to the record for a while now. So I am going to, yeah. I mean, it's, um, I'm going to do spatial audio mixes, which is sort of the new fa- funky thing with Apple Music and a few other streaming um, providers. So that's something that, yeah, I will tackle soon. And that's probably a chance to kind of reinterpret the record a little bit. But um, anything that involves physical media or like promotion or whatever, you've got to, yeah, you got to have your ducks in a row months ahead. Yeah. For sure. So do you usually like, Okay, wait, what was my question here? So with um, the pandemic, is has this been the first album where you've had to kind of wait so long before releasing it? Because like you said, with the vinyl, like there's, you know, issues with shipping and shortage and stuff. Or have uh, you always kind of had to wait? It does always long? feel like it takes like at least a year for even when I was making records myself. Okay. Like it takes at least a year from the first recording to the release. If this has yeah. taken longer... But I think it's, I mean, there's two issues, not necessarily pandemic related. Um, one is just simply my motivation to actually get over the hump to really finish it, um, which maybe some of it was pandemic related, but some of it, I think simply, you know, I've made a lot of records and finding that, finding new ideas is, can be challenging. You know, sometimes it's easy if you've got a real hard deadline and particularly if it's you don't have the pressure of being for an album if it's for a film or ballet and you're like, well, I just have to get something done. Um, and then, um, uh, what was it? I can't remember what the other point was. Um, you know, you're right. Some of it was simply just there's long lead times with labels anyway, pandemic or no pandemic, yeah. um, because things have to be slotted around, you know, Mercury cakes is not going to release Oliver's record and my record on the same day. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it might not just be because Oliver's going to like, I'm going to be completely submerged by him, <laughs> but simp- simply because, you know, they dedicate, they're a small team. They have Universal's resources, but they're a small team. And, you know, they're going to focus their staff on release. You know, they have to plan every release amongst around other releases. So there's, th- that's also a big uh, difference to being, you know, independent. So pa- irrespective of pandemic, there's a lot of kind of moving parts, um, it's a lot easier if you want to do a digital only release. Like I've done a bunch of things like last year I released all that is not solid, which is just album of solid piano improvisations. And that was kind of a bonus thing, right? I wasn't really obligated to record some gigs and I like the sound of them. And, um, you know, a digital only release is kind of easy to do. Uh, it's pretty low cost, right? You don't know. Yeah. Uh, no one, no one yeah. So, but on the flip side, there's not as much publicity and you know that sort of stuff around it either although i don't know i mean i kind of hate doing publicity i feel like good music will always find an, <laughs> will always find an audience you know so, yeah but. i feel like i'm in the same boat as you do you I, i'm not sure if you share this same feeling as i do like when i finish a track or even an album I hate waiting to put it out i just want it to be out into the world right away do you share that or do you kind of actually like waiting that's a good question. I feel like I used to really want to get it out. Um, 
because it's a way of sort of clean, cleansing yourself and getting yeah. onto the next thing. But I don't know. I feel like now I've separated the making of the finishing a project from the actual release. Like I'm on to the next project now, mostly because I have deadlines and um, the album will come out when it comes out. And I know you can never predict how it will be received. So that's really, that's completely random, almost as, well, it's have nothing to do with the music, but it's not, it's never how you expect it's going to be. So that is its own thing. And I guess the only thing is, you know, having to do all the, well, not the boring stuff, it's important, but, you know, interviews <laughs> and all those. Yeah. Sort of, I mean, I don't count this as the boring stuff. This is, <laughs> this is a fun chat with some people, two people that are really, clearly really engaged in music and, you know, some interesting questions, but the kind of like, you know, record a short excerpt about with you talking about each track. I mean, that stuff is really important yes. for listeners because people that aren't musicians want to engage. And it's but sometimes when you don't even remember what the track's about, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be like, okay, <laughs> what is this? What am I doing again? For sure. Yeah, I was I was actually gonna bring it up later, but yeah, you and Matthew Thorne sat down and talked about um, the sand that ate the sea, like the score plus the film. You did like a sort of fifteen minute video where you both are talking about it and as a listener that was awesome to watch i think i've watched it like three times now. yeah that was <laughs> that was fun i mean firstly matthew's a great he's a very sharp guy and it was an amazing collaboration because he really pushed me you know whenever i thought like all right i'm done this is good enough he was like how about a choir so um, <laughs> so he really pushed me in a great way with you maybe the occasional frustration but i'm so proud of that record it's probably the favorite i'd say it's like amongst if not the favorite record I've made just because of its diversity and um, the sonic kind of landscape and having choir and somehow it even though it has a lot of different textures it somehow all hangs together I mean the keys it's all in C sharp minor that's the binding that's the thing that binds it all together oh, but um uh, but yeah that was fun doing anything with Matthew but that's also fun because you know you're talking with a collaborator that's totally yeah it's a, a bit more relaxing than having to carry it all on your own shoulders <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah, back to, I mean, so based on the first single of All of Us, the opening of the gates, uh, it sounds like you're really diving into the electronics. And although you've always been amazing at blending the electronics and piano, I feel like this track really allows the synths to be like sort of forefront of the composition, like around like halfway in, maybe three minutes in when that bassy synth comes in and it's like almost drops in a sense. It's like, amazing is is the rest of the album going to sort of follow suit as, to that yeah look there are some tracks and there's some tracks that are more in line with the piano and string kind of world that you know previous records have had i kind of wanted to release the electronic stuff um first because for that very reason like um i felt it would make more sense to say here's this here's this sonic world that could be a bit of a new direction um uh, rather than releasing a whole lot of tracks that sound like the last record, like sonically, and then then there's this other track that doesn't sound, you know. I felt so that's yeah. The whole the record is, um, it is a, it, it, yeah. It's it has a bit of everything, and I, I mean that's always, you know, when I made I made a record a while ago called Two Places that also was a bit of everything. I that was more challenging, you know. I remember one of the reviews on a closer listen was, I think they said diplomatically, it was a varied cargo that maybe went on for a bit too long. But um, wow, really? <laughs> uh, and he was right, you know. It's like when you have different 
interests, trying to combine them into a record can be challenging. I, I've tried to do it this way this time. I mean, thematically, there's some themes that that are um, uh, repeated across electronic and, and kind of more orchestral uh, versions and stuff. So I think it works. But um, but those big bass notes, so those the electronic tracks, the two most electronic tracks, Critical Spirit and um, Opening of the Gates, um, they were mixed and sort of finished off by Ben Lucas Boyson, whose music I've loved. And I think in those those two pieces, I was just trying, I was kind of trying to be, I was trying to, you know, do my very best impression of Ben. So having him kind of seal it was great, even though he didn't actually change much. I mean, he, he mostly mute, muted things that I had in the arrangement and created a whole lot of space. But those big bass notes... That, that that was that was him in that piece so yeah, yeah. for sure um yeah it definitely does sound like him that's well, amazing you know i wanted the ben the ben magic um i mean he's such a great guy and i love his music so much um i think i've always struggled with the electronic stuff just creating you know just not having it being a static kind of thing i don't have that i always have like some loop set up and then it sort of repeats through the whole thing and yeah, trying to have that light and shade. That's where that arranging thing, of like just muting whole blocks of stuff, can be useful. It can be. It's great to have a separate set of ears do that. I reckon, at least for me, Absolutely. it is. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna ask with the sort of electronic thing. Um, do you think that's sort of inspired by signing to Mercury, like with Oliver doing his thing, maybe even like Nils Fram and stuff? Or do you think that's actually more of like a? a I think it's just the thing. Yeah, I think it's just the thing that's in the air. I mean. Yeah, I haven't really felt any pressure to do any particular thing aesthetically with Mercury KX. Um, uh, it's just because I love Ben. You know, obviously Niels is in, you can that's a influence that everyone feels. But um, uh, you know, he's not the only guy that's got a synthesizer, and I think ben, Ben's um, <laughs> Ben's influence in this stuff. It's probably Ben that's influenced me more um it's sort of wanting to try new things out as well and have things that i can perform live because the, with the string stuff mm -hmm. you know i love writing for strings it's probably one of my favorite things to do but it just it never happens live particularly as i've written for bigger ensembles just outside of some kind of festival sort of thing it's just never going to get performed um for sure are, so. are there plans for uh, for a tour with this album or kind of not at the moment because of the state of the world? Yeah, look, I mean, the vibe I got from my booking agent is that don't try before the second half of next year for Europe, or, you know, because everyone, it's going to be such a backlog of gigs that it'll be a, um, a listener's market, uh, audience's market. Like there'll just be so much stuff in the first half that's just postponed shows. Um I mean, it's different if I lived in Europe and you could just do the odd gig that comes up. Um, so, yeah, I guess I definitely want to leave, want to get out of Australia for a bit. And if that coincides with some gigs, that's great. But I don't think there'll be anything proper until the second half of 2022. I mean, I do love uh, – it's weird with COVID. Like, I've, I've probably just settled into a bit of a more hermetic lifestyle of being more of a composer. And, but I do love performing. Um but I was also maybe getting a bit sick of the set, you know, I, 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 it needs a bit of a rejig. So it's also about keeping the live set enjoyable for yourself and interesting because you know, the audience will tell if you're interested or not. And when you've played the yeah. same tunes, like forever, like, Absolutely. All right, you gotta... have you been playing any live shows in Australia? 
since uh only with my trio which is more of a jazz kind of get up um okay cool it's, it's uh cool. you can find it under the luke howard trio it's like a separate spotify separate okay. artist with very few listeners but um it's got some aesthetic similarities but it's you know piano based drums it's you know it's a very it's a different so, thing but we've been lucky every time the lockdown because we sort of play every month on and off so like one month on one or off, we were very lucky that every time we weren't locked down, we usually have a invariably have a gig, um, and that's been really nice. But other other than that, haven't done too much because, uh, yeah, we've just been live music's kind of been decimated the last eighteen months in Australia, yeah. like For it sure. probably has everywhere. Yeah. Wow. That's nice that you've been able to at least play. That like. Yeah, I mean that's just like a club yeah. kind of thing. I mean, I do. Yeah have some gigs coming up which will have been uh which will have passed by the time you guys hear this <laughs> um where i will you know do some solo things so but yeah i just i just need to make sure i'm i've got to clean the rust off and learn the tune you know it's a classic <laughs> thing right you've got to you've made an album and then you've got to spend the time to learn the tunes because so much stuff was sort of improvised in the studio you know i, had, I went when i recorded the piano stuff i went with a, pa- a few pages of ideas but you know the tunes weren't finished until they actually got played. Yeah. For sure. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, speaking of the trio, uh, yeah. I'd like to go back a bit. Um, I was I had this question a long time ago, and I'm, I'm glad I finally get to ask it. But so, like, in 2013, SunCloud came out, and around that time, your trio's album, A Dove, A Lion, A Coast, A Pirate, came out as well. I think it was a little bit before it. Yeah, I have a um, bad habit of releasing trio and solo albums at the same time. That's like the I worst thing. I noticed that. <laughs> but did you sort of plan? It, it seems like you sort of put more of your focus into your solo stuff. Did Was that the plan or were you kind of just making whatever and sort of seeing what happens? I'd say I was probably started off making whatever and seeing what's happened. Although with SunCloud, I did feel, because that was the first time I, I guess it was the first record I made that, didn't have right it being the first record with only my name on it to be honest like as opposed to being with a band so i felt like i put a lot of effort into suncloud probably more than i put into anything subsequent of course subsequently i have more skills so you know okay but um um so yeah i it was an experiment but one that did seem to resonate more than the trio did and then after that i guess i started to focus more on the solo stuff and i suppose it's also because you know it's easier when the less people if it's just one person it's you can kind of work at your own pace and if you want to tour you don't have to worry about everyone else's schedules and and maybe i'm just a bit more of a solo solo operator but um um yeah i guess at the time i probably didn't necessarily think that but as SunCloud started to resonate with people, I think maybe I was like, all right, let's, let's focus on this for a bit. So the trio has probably, you know, hasn't had as much love as it could have, but, um, but you know, the other reason those albums came out at the same time is that we went to, my trio went to Oslo to record this amazing studio, um, where a lot of ECM music had, records had been done and we did the trio there. And then next week I did SunCloud, had it like booked out for a week. Um, oh, wow. so, they were recorded at the same time in the same with the same instruments or the same piano so i guess oh, well. you know I, they got both got finished about the same time <laughs> um, <laughs> that's amazing what was happening before suncloud and and that uh trio album like you were still composing before then just with with 
Yeah, that's a good question. Like... Yeah, I mean, I also, so SunCloud, I did almost, I mean, the recording was in 2012. So let's say 10 years ago, 10 years from when the, when you're listening to this, this interview. Um, uh, so I would have been 33. Um, before that, I was more of a jobbing, I mean, also had a career writing software. That was kind of my other world which i spent a lot of my 20s doing so that probably took me away from music a bit but also i was just mostly jobbing kind of jazz musician really and i had a the trio has been around since 2008 but i had a few other bands and played some other projects and i guess in 2011 i went and worked as an intern in greenhouse studios in iceland um just making coffee and lunch and rolling cables up but um wow that was a great fly in the wall opportunity for some to see some you know see how the sausage gets made kind of thing and i suppose it was around that around that time and also coupled with living in berlin that's a bit of a cliche but the prior previous year where it wasn't so much that berlin was like massively inspiring or anything although it is where i did discover people like niels just because you know you could go and see a gig of his but um it was more just I, I didn't have any jazz friends and I didn't want to go to jam sessions that started at midnight because I hate staying up late. So, <laughs> you know, I was like, do I really want to, do I love jazz enough to, to, to try and recreate a career in what's in an art form that has, that's maybe not something I innately connect with that's very competitive and whose audience is largely just other jazz musicians? And I think the answer was no. <laughs> so that's kind of where I, that was sort of the pivot around 2010. Um, Wow. But yeah, before that, I was kind of jobbing jazz musician, you know, doing, didn't ever do too many wedding gigs, but I did plenty of them and, you know, it was okay. But I guess I always felt like, yeah, my overriding feeling was like, I don't know if this music's really me. And I've done a lot of practice and I got a lot of chops and technique, but what am I doing? You know, I don't, what am I doing with it? I don't really, I've got more, more facility than I have ideas. Now I'm the opposite. I've got, pretty much no facility on the piano because I never practiced, but at least I'm making my, at least I'm making my own music. I mean, I used to really be able to shred, but I had no taste, you know, I had to wait for all that. I had to stop practicing to, to, um, get rid of all that. What actually got you into piano? Cause I know that it says like on Spotify that you kind of grew up playing piano, right? Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people, yeah. yeah, Just got dragged to piano lessons when I was a kid, when I was five or something. And then I just didn't. I didn't stop. I mean, the first, you know, I was like group lessons when I was five. So it was yeah. not like I didn't have like someone with a cane, you know, yeah. <laughs> not that I ever had that. But then I guess I was always like having classical lessons, but never really probably being serious enough about it to be a classical pianist. Although let's be honest, is anyone I studied piano with when I was a kid now a concert pianist, maybe like <laughs> one or two people, maybe, but I mean, that's like, it's such a competitive world and I feel like people that have more often than not people that have that really kind of hardcore, um, you know, childhood genius thing, which wasn't me, but they kind of invariably burn out because yeah, either they put too much pressure on themselves or their parents do, but they don't, you know, they will actually want them to be actually get a real job or, I feel like it's the slow and steady wins the race thing. You know, someone that yeah. may have had a piano at home when they're little, um, but got into music by playing to bands, playing with bands or, I mean, okay, it depends on the genre. If you want to be a concert pianist, you probably need to have started young and be practicing every day. But even in that case, you know, 
I think you want the hump of your practice to happen in your late teens, early 20s, not when you're like eight because you probably will hate it by the time you're 12 if you do that and then you won't. So I feel like there's a real slow and steady wins the race thing with with music and even with classical music. You just can't – you're just going to burn out if you like go from zero zero to 100 when you're like before you're a teenager. Um, You can't keep – you can't – very few people can keep that up. Yeah, for sure. The passion runs out. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that whole thing is so foreign to me. Like as a kid, I was never pushed onto instruments and stuff. And so when I started writing, like getting into music and playing instruments, I wanted to write right away. Yeah, um, that's really cool. Did uh, what about for you, though? Like, so I'm assuming you had to play, you know, all the classical pieces and stuff. When did you start writing for yourself yeah. yeah i mean that's interesting it's like sure i made up a few tunes when i was a kid but i mean that were pretty silly i mean okay maybe i made up one tune or one tune when i was little that i still would think is not terrible but it's also not that interesting but yeah it was actually when i went to so i did study jazz at uni i guess that's one bit i've left out in oh, the story okay. so i spent four years you know, learning, transcribing Bud Powell solos and trying to learn as much as I could about bebop and being obsessed with wow. Keith Jarrett and Pat Metheny and learning all their tunes and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I, But, yeah, look, we didn't really have a formal composition instruction. I just remember feeling there was a kind of uh, expectation that you would write, um, that you would write music, but no one really taught you about it and... Yeah, I just remember being like, all right, I better write some tunes. And I guess they came out of improvising because that's how, I don't know how other composers do it, but for me, everything starts generally with playing something at the piano and either writing it down or recording it and, and embellishing it. But um, yeah, I mean, my first tunes were pretty pretty average. I mean, I can hear the influence from my piano teachers as well, but they were yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I really do miss not having had that kind of analytic approach to composition. You know, like only now am I starting to write, like learn something and be, or look at something and be like, all right, what's going on here? Because maybe I was yeah. just had this kind of jazz musician's idea that everything was sort of ephemeral and magical. And if you analyzed it too deeply, it would turn to dust. But ultimately <laughs> music is just a, you know, it's maths. It's like a set of structures yeah. that occur in time. And I've been recently, I was just learning a piece that my old piano teacher, Phil Grabowski, wrote for a film score called Last Orders, which is really beautiful. And, and it's just incredible, harmonically just incredible, but very, but you know, you can also analyze it and you can be like, okay, this is what's happening. These notes are staying constant and it works because of these things. And it's also like, it's also just very clever as well. And, you know, you can, if you learn those skills rather than just being like, oh, it's the magic and I better not, I can't rip it off, but I can't learn anything from it either. Then you can, that's how you can use those things in your own pieces. And I think I was often sort of too scared to do that stuff, but it is just, it is just work at the end of the day. You know, it's like, you want to write a piece of music that's longer than five minutes, then (laughs) you probably need to plan it and divide it into some smaller chunks. And then you can work on the chunks. It's like the difference between writing a short story as a kid, where you can just write away and then writing an essay or a thesis as an adult where you're like, well, you know, there's no magic in this. You just got to plan it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. That's really interesting because I've only just sort of started looking at music that way as well. 
um, you know, I'm not studying theory or anything, but like even just thinking why this key instead of that key, other than the fact that it just feels good to my ears right now. Um, so that's really interesting. I mean, it's good to trust your intuition as well. I still am 90, 90% intuition, but yeah, at some point, particularly if you want to write longer things, well, you just want to stop repeating yourself. Then you're like, okay, what am, what am I missing? Yeah. What, what can I learn from other music, but without copying it? Um, what can I learn from it that structurally or, you know, cause like, particularly if you're writing tonal music, like many permutations, most permutations of notes, you know, that are pleasing to the ear have been used in the last few yeah, hundred years. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, I marvel at someone like John Williams who, you know, can still come up with a melody that's so tuneful that feels like you've heard it before that, yeah. but you haven't, or you haven't heard that exact. That's really hard. Sometimes I sit at the piano and I'm like, all right, I want to write a really memorable melody. What, how do I do, you know, actually, if you really try and do that rather than just waiting for an idea to come into your head, it's really hard, but yeah, it's also quite interesting because you're like, all right, I'll try this combination of notes. Oh, this sounds oh, generally 90% of what happens. It either sounds really bad or you're, or you're playing someone else's tune. And then in the last so, 10, 10%, maybe you do come up with something you like that's original. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like I always try to do that too. You know, like what's a really memorable melody that sounds nice. That'll, you know, just please somebody's ears. And every time I sit down on the piano, it ends up just being over sky. <laughs> every time I just that's go so to funny. it. Like I don't, my hands are just shaped that way, I guess, just from listening for so long. Cause that's like my favorite track. Yeah. That's so uh, funny. Cause that's really piano. sort of yeah. just the middle of portrait gallery. And, um, those, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. portrait, all those tunes were recorded in like one, one night, Friday night. I had this little sound SoundCloud playlist called home alone on a Friday night. And it was basically like half an hour of improvising. I did at the end of recording something. The story is I had had went out for a drink with a friend. I don't know if you've ever seen that Mitchell and Webb ske ske sketch slightly more than one glass of wine, but um, it's very funny. Slightly less than two drinks or something. Google it. But um, I'd come home and I had to record some stuff for my friend's pop thing. My, but I had my piano tune and everything was set up, so it's all kind of nice. And then I was like, all right, I'll just keep noodling. And yeah, Portrait Gallery, Over Sky a bunch of things that ended up on other records like home homeless and refuge. And I can't remember exactly. They all came out of that one thing. And I, it was originally just a sad cloud playlist. And as, uh, as I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to put this on an album. I sort of took it off SoundCloud and stuck it on <laughs> album, but that's why portrait gallery and Sky. I mean, I, I did re-record it with Nadia, but they, they're so similar because they really just came out of that same um, thing, which is just this two chord vamp. I mean, it's not very interesting but I, but it's still, yeah, these sort of, yeah, I, I think I didn't make it up. It's, it's, it yeah. still sounds like me, but I don't think, yeah, that's interesting. That's, yeah, it was, it was a thing. I, I felt I, it was relaxed enough to, <laughs> to make those tunes up. For sure. I love it. That's, I connect with that song so hard. And even, yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned her name, Nadia, because I don't know, I didn't know how to pronounce it before this. Yeah, it's written, um, it's written unusually, but it's, she's, she goes for the, well, I, yeah, we just say Nadia, Nadia Nordhaus, even though in Dutch, yeah. I'm sure it's pronounced. She probably doesn't know how to say it in Dutch. I mean, I certainly don't. <laughs> she's very Aussie. Sure. We'll, have, we'll have to have her on this because yeah. I, oh, I yeah, you should totally. I and love. she's got a great album called Gulfoss. I don't know if that's how you say it. 
that's another it's a named that's after really? an Icelandic I think Gull is pronounced Gook or something. I remember there's a beer called <laughs> called that and I remember trying to order one in Iceland and they're like, huh? <laughs> but um <laughs> anyway, uh yeah, it's a great record. Uh, it's a bit more in the yeah. jazzy thing, but it's got an ambient sort of vibe as well. She's yeah, she's in New York, so you won't have any problem finding a time a mutually convenient time zone. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to because yeah, I love yeah. Ten Sales and everything. I'm going to have to check out that album too for sure. Yeah, Ten um, Sales is another record I'm just real proud of. Like, it's always the things that are collaborations where maybe I didn't put too much pressure on myself that I feel it. Yeah, Ten Sales, The Sound of the Sea. Um, and they're probably like my two favorite records. Yeah, that I made. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. I can yeah. see that too. Like, ultra high quality. I love them. Yeah. So much. Uh, speaking of uh, the sand that ate the sea. You yeah. Just mentioned yep. it. <laughs> um, so you got to work with a lot of sort of choral vocal stuff. How, how was writing that? Is that is that the first time you've written for? Yeah, um, well, it, I think stuff? it is actually. But I, I mean, and I remember we recorded. So we, as I was saying earlier, like Matthew was like, let's have a choir. And I was like, you know, that's going to be, obviously we were trying to do this on a budget, like, we just oh, yeah. we both chipped in <laughs> for it but there's no you know it all came out of basically it was a love job like we want to do the yeah. best job we can want Matthew to have a great film score and he's like well you'll get an album out of it and of course it's turned out but you know at the time we were like how can we get max maximum musical bang with small ensembles which is why like there's just a string quintet on it and but there's some overdubs, you know, it sounds like an orchestra because of clever use of different overdubs and stuff. But, and I was like, okay, well, we, if we're going to have a choir, that's going to be at least 11 or, you know, 10, 11, 12 people. That's a lot of warm bodies. So that's probably going to, that's going to be the thing that blows this budget out. Um, but you know, he loved Niels's record that has shards on it. And he was like, you know, why don't we use shards? And I knew Kieran, I met Kieran who leads shards through a mutual friend. So it's like, well, we could do it and, you know, I'll be on tour and Europe and he's like, I'll use some of my freaking fly points and we'll come. So it was a bit indulgent, but, you know, it was um, heaps fun. I loved that session. It, yeah, it was so much fun. And, um, you know, and in answer to that question about choral writing, at the end of it, they, one of them was like, it sounds like you've written for choir before. And I hadn't really. And I guess I was just, but it's very similar to writing. If you've got good voice leading, like counterpoint skills, which just comes from studying music theory and my, you know, mm-hmm. my like lunch break at school, high school, um, <laughs> then it makes, it's not difficult. It's just the thing you have to be aware of that you're not with writing for strings is, is people is, you know, how long people have to breathe, particularly in a small oh, ensemble. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, I did, I think the things that helped, I, I listened to a lot of choral music in preparation for it. And also I wrote like about four or five pieces and we just picked the best two. So I really kind of, I try, you know, I, I threw out a lot of stuff. Um, oh, wow. And then also when I was younger, like a teenager, before I kind of, even before I went to study music, like in a few years I took off between high school and university, um, I was an accompanist for like a, cor- a choir, like an amateur choir. And that was just every Tuesday night sight reading not only having to play the accompaniment but like also having to reduce the four-part stuff so i could play it on piano and that was just i reckon there's a lot of i, I sort of osmosized a lot of stuff just 
by being an accountant for so many years. Um, for sure. So I think that's probably also what helped. Wow. Yeah, I've been I've been waiting to write for for a choir for yeah. a long time. It's like my dream. I'm hoping as long as I can write strings decently well, it'll kind of translate. Oh, it totally <laughs> Other does. Other than like you're saying the the breath. Yeah, I mean it totally. Um, four part harmony is like you know soprano, alto, tenor, bass. I mean it vaguely corresponds to you know violin, violin, viola, cello, or or the yeah. piano. It's yeah. The only thing is. Unless you have a massive choir where people can stagger their breathing, um, you can't just write long notes because they're gonna they're gonna asphyxiate. <laughs> For sure. Oh man, amazing. But even the standard uh, A it's got a lot of long notes. They just were clearly yeah, you know, we're good at holding their breath. <laughs> <laughs> man, it sounds so good. Yeah, we were listening to it today, and I was like, yeah, wow. Um, it's funny because I actually like the the album cover. It's like my favorite photo ever. It's I, funny because I, I got into a bit of Instagram hot water about having a photo of a burning car. Like, what about oh, the environment? Really? But I mean, I didn't uh, commission the no. photo. It was it's a still from the film. Now, why did Matthew yeah. want to set a car alight? I guess it's part of the story. But you know, you got to be careful these days. And I went on a little Google kind of thing of like, all right, what's the CO two emission of like seeing a car alight versus taking a trip to Sydney, which is basically like, you know. Uh, Boston to New York or whatever, and uh, it turns out the air f- for a s- return trip for a one person is actually worse than setting the car on fire. Really? <laughs> Makes oh, <wow>. sense. <laughs> I mean, depending on how long the car burns for, I guess. But yeah. flying's like it's also because the altitude, like CO two release, oh, that's true. high altitudes way worse, way worse because it's closer to the atmosphere. So, as I understand it, you flying is like really bad <laughs> and setting cars yeah. alight is also quite bad but not as bad as you'd think it would be <laughs> oh man that's interesting that's ever since i saw the photo it was like my favorite now we yeah. have like the two foot by two foot print of it oh wow um, that's amazing yeah. i should get one of those i wanted the i wanted the original but it's yeah. too much at the time yeah so I, I, yeah went with like the limited edition <laughs> i should look into that i actually just got a whole lot of stuff printed and framed for my apartment which might sort of been fixing my apartment up and i really should get one of matthew's photos i, I guess there's, there's so many good ones i just don't know which one you know do you go to the classic car shot or you know i should um should get onto that yeah if you've got one i definitely need to have one yeah <laughs> yeah even his book that he just came out with uh django i can't remember the name of it but yeah even that was great too we have that just out of curiosity, the photos and like prints that you have around your house, is it mostly like photography that you enjoy or is it just, paintings, you know, paintings even? or little doodles from um, artists? It's funny because I dropped off like 10 things um, a few months ago and the frame is, well, he's been busy and closed. So I, I can't actually remember. Um, there are some, there's a couple of photos of mine that I like. Um, there's actually a, beautiful concert poster of a gig I did in Warsaw with Hanya Rani, who's you should also have on. She's like totally killing it right now. Um, it's a beautiful hand-drawn uh, thing. So there's a gig poster. Um, cool. God, I don't know. I took quite a few things. There's like a painting that someone did for me years ago that I'm getting reframed. I, I, yeah, I actually can't remember because it was like a lot of things. But, I, but yeah, mostly I like to collect things that my friends have done um For sure. and or like maybe a couple of my own photos but you know i don't yeah, i don't want to awesome. i don't want to turn into you know it's just, uh, yeah i mean 
no, they're not all no, going to be hanging out all uh, hanging up all at the same time because otherwise it's, <laughs> it's going to be a rotating yeah, exhibit. We we frame photos that we take too. Oh yeah, too. yeah, um, we do. Especially when we're traveling, like we yeah, have a lot of our Iceland sense. photos hung up. Yeah, and stuff. it's hard to take a bad photo yeah. in Iceland. It's so beautiful, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, amazing! Uh, I, we need to get some of your prints. Yeah. Do you sell prints? No, because it's funny you introduced me as a photographer, but I don't really. I mean, it's like a hobby. It's like. Yeah. I was just going to ask more about it. Like, yeah. when did you get into that and how often do you find yourself? How do you sort of do it? I, I do it when I'm traveling because, you know, when you travel, you usually see things first time, yeah. like someone yeah. for the first time. When I leave my apartment and I see like the Hungry Jacks on the, there's like a fast food outlet on the corner. I'm kind of like, well, what am I going to take a picture of? That's actually yeah, nice. Yeah, that's not inspiring. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I do it sporadically and I haven't, been that inspired like it's sort of like the icing on the cake when you know you're feeling good about everything you're like let's go and take some photos but probably yeah, been doing it like taking it a bit more in an interest by which i mean learning actually what all of the dials do <laughs> in the last yeah. 10 years or so i suppose probably started when i bought a really nice camera from my second hand of a friend and i was it was all manual so i was like okay i have to learn enough about about things but yeah, I mean, it's just a hobby. I guess it's unlike music, it's kind of more instantaneous. So there's a satisfaction in the, the moment. I mean, maybe with a bit of editing in Lightroom afterwards, but yeah. that's that you don't get out of music because music, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta spend a lot of time <laughs> finishing stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless that improvisation you recorded turned out to be perfect. But yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> need some um, do you shoot with film or is or is it mostly digital um i have but i have i'm lucky to have the same camera but one of each so the same lens mm -hmm. and stuff but um mostly digital because films you know it's expensive it looks amazing yeah. but it's expensive and it basically turns out to be like a dollar a shot real unless yeah. you're going to start developing it yourself so yeah film is it's great, but it's expensive and mm -hmm. the difference, you know, obviously it has a look, but it's like with audio, right? You can get pretty close with digital or sometimes you actually don't want all the artifacts. You want them to look real clean. Um, exactly. Yeah. For a while there, I mean, to, I guess, relate it back to music, I, I was getting uh, all my masters done with, on analog gear, but lately I, I switched um, to an engineer who does everything sort of digitally and just everything's just so crisp now. And I was like, Oh, I can't believe I missed this for like five years. Yeah. Yeah. The two mastering engineers I use are probably one is, you know, one's more analog. The other guy's more in the box, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, they, but look, it also depends. Do you want something? Do you want, do you want your, it to sound sort of like your mixes, but just a bit louder and fresher, or do you want it to have a tonal kind of difference, True. you know? all those sort of yeah. things yes yeah you pick the right yeah, person how, for the for the job for sure yeah. that's how i feel with photography too and going back to photography um <laughs> i was doing film for a long time there i feel like a couple of years i didn't even touch any digital stuff but now it's all been digital again yeah. i don't even want to touch film just because it's a hassle <laughs> yeah film's a really you gotta drop it off too yeah. like with the lighting and the, yeah i had i've I had some know. bad sort of experiences with some of the cameras i have um with light leaks and stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. I've ruined, like, just because loading mine is such 
I don't know. I, I always get really nervous loading it, and sometimes I better just open up and check that it's wound on. And yeah. I've had so many light. I mean, sometimes light leaks look cool, but I've, yeah, I've ruined yeah. like whole rolls just because there's like yeah. light leaks over everything. It's so disappointing. Absolutely, and then yeah, even my Canon. Um, for some reason, it was leaving marks on the film yeah. for a while there. I had to replace. Like when like, you were winding it, oh uh, yeah, almost scratched yeah. the film. It was very strange. I mean, the irony so is, I, my, I went digital. My sensor oh, is so dirty on my. Well, I took a photo last night because there was a storm. I was like, I'm just going to take a photo of my window, and maybe the window's also dirty. But my sensor is so dirty, I have to like patch. If there's a bit of sky, there's a lot of like healing to get rid of all of those little oh, blemishes yeah. so it's actually but it doesn't look nice the way the film does it just looks like just mm. looks dirty like you know yeah you plenty of glasses. <laughs> oh amazing that's so good yeah i don't think i've seen much of your photography like i know i've seen the stuff you post on stories that's just with your phone I think. yeah i mean i went when i was a bit more in like if i'm traveling i like you know take more photos and i've made a couple of photo books and stuff just for friends but um Oh really? To be honest, it was when yeah, when Lightroom broke, being able to upload. This is really petty, but used to be able to just upload stuff to Facebook and it would just post things automatically. And then that broke. I think maybe when Facebook started to clamp down on third-party apps or whatever, and that workflow just became a bit more annoying. And then I was like, all right, this can't be bothered anymore. So That's I just amazing. yeah, I'm less I'm yeah, I'm less trigger happy, or I just don't bother uploading them. But when I can travel Appreciate again, I'll take some more. For sure. I would like to uh, ask about this too. Going back to two places. Um, oh, yes. My, le- my, my least favorite album. Oh, that's my most favorite. I <laughs> Don't you feel it. like it's a I, bit wait, of a, wait, a, bit of a minestrone? Oh, yeah, but I think that's why I like it. And that's actually what I've written down here. Like, So is that the reason that it's your least favorite? Just kind because of, it's kind of all over the place? You feel yeah. like it's maybe not so... I feel so, like stylistically uh, it's all over the place. And it's a bit long. I feel like I was trying, you know, like the piece with harpsichord and strings. Oh, I have it. I have it written down. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. But then you've got that and then there's a piece which is more like post-rocky sort of band track, which is actually based on a band. I, it's the lineup from a band I used to have called, well, we used to have called Magnolia. But um, oh, cool. I love all of those things. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe if I had have turned it into like three EPs, one with the string stuff, one with the... I mean, the tracks on that, like the map is not the territory, which I really love. I just feel that it doesn't make sense to ha- have that and then have a track with like lap steel, the next track. It For just sure. feels a bit weird. Yeah. I think if I could redo it, I'd sort of turn it into like three EPs maybe. That makes sense. I feel like it's so nice. So listen to your stuff. You definitely have a sound and then you can go to two places and you can listen to the miss hardships and hear like a full-on drone 12 yeah. drone track i love that song yeah. uh, i mean I, I, I actually really like all the tracks well most of them maybe, yeah <laughs> but i just feel like they're presented it's like having a meal it's like going to a fusion restaurant you know it's like For sure. <laughs> there's too many different things it's you're full it's like having sushi and like having like some pad thai and like having it and then having you know a pizza and yeah. and and cheesecake like <laughs> for sure too many it's not like having tapas or something where it's all like consistent <laughs> it's amazing yeah when i used to work downtown toronto um my walk from the subway to my work was exactly 12 minutes so every day i would put on the miss hardships as soon as i got off the subway and oh wow that. that is so cool so i used to play that tune live because it's fun drones are oh, heaps really? fun. 
I mean, obviously yeah. it was mostly pre-recorded and I was just putting some things on top, but I'd always be like, 12 minutes is a really long time for one piece. Is the audience like, <laughs> are they like just getting ready? Are they engaged? Are they ready to leave? But I think that's like, oh. as a con- that's like you have to have that confidence as a performer to be like, all right, I'm going to play a 12-minute drone and I'm going to own it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, and when the higher pitch sort of, Oh, they almost sound like uh, train signals or horns, maybe. Yeah, well, it's basically just two organ. That track is just, two, it's a little chamber organ I recorded in Belgium. So it's like a, you know, a portable organ that would be used for, I guess, small chamber music. And it's just two passes of that. But I was, I guess I was going through Ben Frost fa- fra- phase. And <laughs> um, there's, yeah, basically just a kind of granular, distorted processing thing that just like dirties it up a bit. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so I, it's one of my yeah. I really like that track. But then to have that track and then also have this very baroque harpsichord thing. Yes. Ah, it's like what is that doing on the same record? How did that end up on the oh. same record? <laughs> <laughs> I can see that for sure. Um, I feel like at least in with with the records. So starting with maybe ten sales, but with two places, you started doing sort of that visual thing with the triangles and maybe some other geometric shapes. Yeah, that was uh, the where it's that, kind of overlaid. That was the designer's um, kind of, uh, and if you look at Mark Gowing's design, that's sort of a a uh, thing that appears in a lot of his artwork. And the fact that ten sails has sort of triangles that look because of the yeah. sails thing is that's just a coincidence. Yeah. I was I was going to ask if you were going to continue that on the new album. So uh, no, the new album cover is um, well, we had to find something could do like shoot if you wanted to have a photo. We had to find something that's sort of COVID safe because yeah. couldn't really do anything indoors, yada, yada. So it's actually, I wrote my girlfriend into like, um, into on a Sunday afternoon, basically the day before the deadline into uh, the shoot. And we had some, a big plastic bag. The single cover is not of the track that's released at the time of us having this chat. It doesn't bear much resemblance to the final one, to the album cover. And um, yeah, it's kind of, was inspired by some COVID sort of photos of like, and you may have even seen them like, uh, like grandparents hugging their kids through like a big purse, like through a drop, oh, yeah. kind of like a drop sheet thing. So we sort of recreated that. Um, uh, yeah. And it's turned out, it's turned out nice, really, real, real good. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, even if it was done under a kind of very last minute sort of circumstances, but um, it, sure. yeah, it doesn't have a, it doesn't continue that geometric theme. It's, it's more of a plastic bag theme this time around. <laughs> For, sure. <laughs> For sure. Oh, man, I love it. Um, but, yeah, Nadia, on the new record, there's some Nadia and my cousin Gab, and I, there's a few little cameos from people I love. And not I, I always try and keep, you know, friends, uh, apart from Ben Boyce and friends, who's also a great friend, but um, obviously someone I haven't collaborated with on my own record before. But try to when i meet people that i like whose music i like and have become friends i try to keep them close and like use them on you know records over like 10 15 like keep that that's the team forever kind of thing you know for yeah. sure yeah you can really see that i love that like so my much. friend lenny lenny Gregorian is one of my best friends like he's not on this new record but um he's on the saturday to see in suncloud and two places and he's on so many records even if he's just playing like the odd guitar swell or something but like you know you want to have your friends you want to have your friends involved yeah for sure awesome yeah it's so refreshing to hear i suck at collaborating (laughs) (laughs) i never have anybody else on my records but i mean i'm also a complete control freak who does 
a lot of things stuff as well. But you know, I can't play. Yeah, it's a lot of instruments I can't play, and also, I mean, I guess you can invite collaborators and still have the final say. If you're, I'll just be like, like with Nadi, I was like, let's just just play a few passes over this track and I'll use what whatever I want. You know, I'll process it however. So, yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, that's like kind of the dream sort of collaboration yeah. right there. Where I mean, it was interesting with them to record with Ben. There were some tracks where I, because I handed him a few tracks to to work on and there was one track where I felt I was just micromanaging him into the result I wanted oh. and, I, and well, we just weren't hearing it in the same way, or maybe it would have been different if we could yeah. have talked about it in the same room. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to mix it. And also, I'm not going to like, it's not fair to him for me to just be breathing down his neck. If I have a really specific idea, you know, maybe then actually it turned out that's better for me to finish. And then use a little, I used some bits of his version at the end, but, it just made it was going down a path where I was like, "It's no fun for everyone, anyone." If I'm just like saying, "Turn yeah. this bit up like two dB," like yeah. that's not a collaboration. That's, that's I can just that's just like moving your mouse. But um, for sure. But there are other yeah other tracks where I was like, when I heard his version, I was like, "Mate, God, this is this is." I'm I'm feeling inspired about this whole record again in a way, you know, because it's it's so it sounds so fresh and different. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so technically this is, I mean, I say technically because, I don't know, you, you mentioned earlier that maybe you don't uh, necessarily consider the sand that eats sea and all that is not solid as, like, proper albums, maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of, and then it's more like what my label thinks is like a proper album in terms of, you yeah. know, but, you know what, what I deliver and how it gets marketed and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, sand that sea was a film soundtrack, but, you know, they're often, as I said before, like it's often these, there's just less pressure on those collaborative things, projects or live albums yeah. or whatever. So often you tend, your expectation, you don't have that expectation bias, of, you know, which means you generally think, prefer it in the end. For sure. Um, how did Mercury, Mercury KX kind of come about? Because are, are they just handpicking the artists? Because they have such a crazy lineup. Like, did you just kind of get hit, hit up by an A&R or something? Or? Yeah, pretty much. And I, I feel like, and I, I think it maybe they heard, it's that classic thing usually maybe someone hears something from one, like a playlist or something, but then someone else mentions, you You know, you, as soon as your name gets mentioned by, I mean, I don't know exactly how it worked out, but as soon as you, some someone gets mentioned like by a couple of different people, that's when it sort of starts, starts to stick. Um, there's always a lot of randomness and luck, but I feel like, you know, persistence generally wins out but um i had tried sending my music to like universal and erase tapes and you know a few labels over the years but like after i did suncloud but yeah in my experience you have to wait for them to come to you like just yeah. cold cold calling is i don't think it's ever worked for me i mean you're lucky if you even get an email back general generally um, yeah, i mean sure. it's different if you once you as your career like once you get to a certain point, then yeah, you will probably at least get your email returned. But um, but someone has to take the first risk, and you know, the music industry is so tough that everyone's risk averse until yeah. it seems like you're someone that you should bet on, and then everyone, you know, it's that classic thing. No one wants to be the first person to to, to yeah. But the people that do take that first risk are often worth worth hanging on to because they they have taken a risk. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, what was your relationship with Hobbledy, uh, Hobbledy Hoy like? Um, Correct. Because were they pretty much just um, like pressing your records and, and distributing them, or yeah, were you I actually mean, like properly signed? The first, I've done a few different things with them, but they've always been unusual kind of relationships, which they probably haven't done with other people. Um, so like 10 sales and two and one, I think they did vinyl releases after I'd already just done a digital release. And I was like, well, I wasn't going to pay and do vinyl myself. You guys want to do it. Great. Um, (laughs) but you know, that's something they typically wouldn't do because it's hard, you know, when you release an album, um, twice sometimes it works but sometimes you just don't have that opportunity to capture the original kind of you know excitement of launching you only get to launch something once but um and then the standard date this evening there was in mercury um uh i they get mercury kindly gave me the right to do a vinyl release myself and i was you know by that point i'd done enough things with hobby hoy uh it's like yeah it's, these are the these guys are gonna you know it's a great we've got a great relationship it's a great deal they're going to cover the cost of printing and doing all the logistics and shipping. And they've got distribution internationally. Uh, you know, I'm pretty, I'm sick of posting records out. Like they take so long to wrap unless you're doing, if you're doing one off, you've got to, go to the post office shipping anything out of Australia is really expensive because of the asymmetries of shipping. Like we import so much more stuff than we, sh- we send. So, um, yeah, you just don't want to be in the district. You don't want to be in the fulfillment business as an artist. I mean, it's fun for the first few years, but then it gets boring. So it's a great, uh, relationship and the, with the trio we've done basically we've done two records with them and basically we just pay for a bunch of records that we can sell at gigs and then they do the rest and so the trio has had two records the shadow and the sanctuary come out in the last couple of years with them and yeah i think so now i'm up to five finals with them yeah oh, and it's great it's also still nice to have a foot in the independent camp because you know it's a real small yeah kind of you know, it's, on, it's a small team and it's yeah reminds you of what it was like when you were doing stuff independently. It's it's cool to still have a, a bit of a hand in that. And it's great that Mercury have been cooperative with that as well, you know, for the, for the, for those things like the sound I see. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love them. I'm not going to even try to say their, the label name again, because I always trip over my tongue, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love them a lot. Um, <laughs> interesting name they've chosen i'm gonna to have to get him on too because i have yeah you should totally slight, get tom on i don't know how to pronounce his surname either but uh, you could look into that before is it yeah he's a great guy you should totally have him on because he's you know it's a classic he's a music fan that started a label so you know he loves yeah, yeah. he's just some that just loves music and has yeah. managed managed to stick you know, do something which is, pro, you know, it's obviously a day job. Like it's just running a label. It's a love job. You know, I don't think that yeah. no one's getting rich out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. To sort of wrap it up slowly or quickly or whatever, um, <laughs> not to jump the gun or anything, but what are your sort of future plans after the album comes out and, and everything you said, you mentioned before that you're already onto the next project. Yeah, I'm working in a ballet at the moment, which uh, will have oh, to wow. be finished by the time this comes out. It'll have to be like finished and orchestrated and maybe even performed. So um, wow. that's a, it's a fairly, it's a lot of music to write quickly. It's a bit unusual to have, it's more like a film deadline than a kind of ballet deadline. Well, I don't know what a ballet deadline is, but having a couple of months to write 
almost an hour of music is ch- challenging, but um, it's also great yes. for sharpening your craft as well. So that and then I want to do um, kind of Atmos or like surround spatial audio mixes of the album. Oh, wow. I do that myself. So that's kind of oh, really? thing to scratch my technical itch. Um, and then, yeah, I just like to get back to playing the piano a bit and maybe practice. I always say this every year. I'm going to like practice the piano every day. And I would just love to have a live set that's a bit more, maybe still have the electronics in there, but something that just brings it back to the piano. And, you know, it's just so simple. I don't, you know, nothing can fail except for your own hands and memory, but I've been doing it for long Absolutely. enough, but so that's pretty, it's generally pretty reliable. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm just sick of my laptop crashing in the middle of the show. That sort of stuff. <laughs> for um, sure. Otherwise, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess there'll probably be some more touring and maybe some more film scores and there's a few, yeah, you know, things, it's always things that are happening, but they don't really happen until they happen because, mm-hmm. because music industry, as the kids would say. So I, I don't even register those things. Like if someone asks you about a film score or even there's a film score I've done like almost two years ago, which hasn't come out because COVID limited distribution. Oh, wow. yeah. So, But it's not like I think about it every day because I would just go crazy. So like once something's finished, <laughs> something's finished, I don't think about it. And if something, the contract sort of hasn't been signed, I don't think about it either because you just burn a lot of energy thinking about things that may or may not happen. And I just try and work on what it, what's actually happening. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's funny. I did a score like what three years ago now, and it still hasn't come out. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm re- I really like that one too. I'm gonna have to hit up the director about it. <laughs> um, but you mentioned the Atmos uh, surround sound mixing. That's actually something I was looking into this week um, because a couple of the DSPs or whatever are. Uh, they're, you know, they're yeah, they're strongly it. encouraging it. I mean, that's the vibe I got. Yeah. It's like if you they'll help they'll if you do support it, then you'll they'll they're interested in helping it you know, in promoting it and helping it reach an audience. Yeah. So even aesthetic, in spite of what you think about it aesthetically, I mean, it's definitely cool. Uh, then, but I don't know how many people have got like massive surround setups at home. Uh, it's definitely going to be a headphone thing to start with, but, um, and maybe only a headphone thing, but it's interesting. Yeah. But Uh, yeah, yeah, the jury's out too, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask, um, with your studio, is your is your studio set up for that, or or like you said, you're just gonna sort of tr- try your best in headphones? It is um, not set up yet, but I have just spent far too much money on more speakers. Um, wow! So yeah, it will be set up, and somehow some of them will be attached to my ceiling. But um, yeah, because it's seven point one point four, right? Yeah, I'm gonna do that- five point one point four because which technically is not enough to meet the sort of QC requirements for the label, but I'm going to have to wing it somehow. Mostly because if I had seven means basically seven speakers on your floor um, and and my room is not like I, it would turn into, yeah, you'd be tripping over stuff. So it's two, I think five is already going to be enough. And then I'll have four in the ceiling, which yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting when it actually is set up. But I think you kind of need do. I have tried. So I have already sort of roughly mixed, remixed a few tracks from all of us in headphones for spatial, and oh, okay. it does. It is harder. Like positioning things above and behind you is not as convincing in headphones as it is. Yeah, I imagine it would be with speakers. So 
I think, yeah, you really need to, you need a chance to, yeah, you need to test and speakers. And yeah, my label is kind of requires you to have tested and speakers. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, for me, it's, there's so much creativity involved in effectively remixing it that I would rather do that myself than hand it to someone else. And there's so few people that are set up for Atmos. Um, yeah. You know, that it's, yeah, it's kind of like you can't necessarily pick your favorite mixer or mastering engineer because they they may not have invested. You know, it's a big, it's a big investment. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing. I, I had a sort of like a... Uh you know, a call with, with people talking about this. Um, and you can't master the, the Atmos mixes, which is the weirdest thing ever. Right. Well, I know it's this weird sort of, yeah, basically you're supposed to make your mixes sound like the, they need to match the mastered version and the, they have to be exactly the same length and all that stuff because, Mm -hmm. you know, on your iPhone, you can just press a button and switch, turn spatial audio on and off. And when it does that, it's switching between, the stereo master and the spatial master. So in order for that user experience to work, they need to be the same length and they should sound roughly similar. Of course, (laughs) they've got to sound different enough to make spatial audio a compelling kind of, um, you know, value as, (laughs) but yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the mastering thing, yeah, it is a bit weird. It's, um, and I guess one thing too is, you know, if your mastering engineer has done more creative things than like run stuff through tape, then that stuff can be harder to replicate because, yeah. you know, we don't have a, like, you don't have, well, I don't have a tape machine. And even if I did, I wouldn't have one with the same track width that's going to go across so many channels. And similarly with plugins, like a lot of them don't even support like 7.1 or 4. Like, exactly. you know, or they work in multi, I mean, I'm getting pretty nerdy here, but, you know, they work in multi-mono as opposed to stereo or surround so that if you have a compressor. Um, well, it's funny. I I don't think so, but I, I love this because I was wondering how like reverbs and stuff even work in this space. I guess they don't. Right? Well, there's a few Typically. approaches, but yeah, certainly things like compressors, unless you can find one that supports a big track width, but you can also side chain it off like just the stereo thing, then if you have every tra- if you if it's multi mono and every tr- every channel is being um, uh, has its own side chain, then you, you're potentially the rela- the stereo image yeah. is going to shift around while the surround image yeah. is going to shift around. So there are very few like the Avid one is clever in that you can have I don't think it does the biggest widths, but you can have like five or one or whatever, and but you can say I just want to use the stereo speakers or I just want to use the stereo center left center right to be the side chain because otherwise yeah your image is gonna is gonna shift around but um um you said something else too what is it uh, oh reverbs yeah look there's a few tricks either you just have a bunch of stereo reverbs um in different spots uh, uh yeah, which yeah. is easy to do with plugins obviously as you can just have as many a bit harder in hardware unless you want a lot of reverbs um yeah I mean, there are some hardware reverbs that supports around like Lexicon and Quantex, but they're pretty esoteric. Uh, and then there are some surround reverbs and probably the best, or the one that can do pretty much anything is cinematic rooms. You can feed it a stereo signal and it will give you like 714 or whatever. And you can tweak, it's really clever. You can tweak, um, you, you have like a base setting and then you can tweak all of the other pairs and 
you can say the reverb times like a multiple, like you can say you want your, your rear speakers to be like, you know, 0.75 of the uh, reverb time or probably longer or whatever. So it's, it's super, it's kind of, I think that's most people's go-to for, for doing this kind of stuff. Oh man. I love that. I hope, I mean, I don't see how it can sort of become widespread. Um, you know, due yeah. to people just not having that many speakers around and stuff. And I don't have a setup like this, but it'd be really cool. I, yeah, like, I think there's a lot cool. of possibilities. It's just the application just isn't quite yeah. possible yet. I yeah, know like a lot yeah. of sound bars are sort of kind of getting there, but I, I guess, it's... Uh, yeah, it's really hard to predict how these things will work. And, you know, surround sounds kind of tried and failed at least twice. Yeah. Uh, but um, I suppose the thing that's interesting about Atmos is that this kind of independent of the ultimate way it's listened to delivered, like you could have, I mean, probably wouldn't work very well on a mono speaker, but certainly you can, you can listen to it folded down binaurally in headphones and you can have some of that spatial stuff or you can have, you know, anything from a surround setup to like a really big setup and it will all, it will kind of, it's, it's not like bound to a specific speaker setup, although it does, if you are going to use speakers, it does have a fairly hefty sort of minimum, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Which is probably not going to be found. Yeah, I think you're right though, the sound bar thing, things that basically like are a single thing or one or two things you can put in your room and that will like do some things and deal with that must have probably the way it's going to go. And like you can have yeah. for the ceiling thing, I think the sound bars are just fire up at the ceiling and then you get yeah. the reflected sound. So just depends on the consumer market but i suppose yeah listening in headphones is the big one and that's what apple are pushing um yeah yeah i hope at some point i get to listen to all of us in in atmos because that'd be that'd be sweet but even i was even thinking even just for like listening parties you know like for album release parties or something have like a full setup and have the mixes there yeah, that's I mean the that's the only real application I can yeah. I can think of for it right it now. It certainly would least. be cool. Yeah. I mean yeah. But I look it is I have checked out some even the mixes I did, the spatial audio stuff does have that feeling of like it's coming from beyond your ears sort of thing. And if you ever heard like a binaural recording, it's that's like really freaky. I mean you can get somewhere close to that. The problem I guess one problem is that everyone's head density is different and Yeah. <laughs> So far, there's no way of accounting for that. Like, there's no headphones that measure your head density. I didn't even know how you would do that. Like, so <laughs> for sure. And for it to be really effective, the model has to match your head. Um, wow, so that's, that's as as that stuff gets better, it'll probably. I mean, that's the cool thing about Atmos is that it's delivered in a way that, as the algorithms to uh, render it binaurally get better, then you know we'll all benefit from that. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think, cool. yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm super interested interested in that stuff. Um, be a great side hustle too. Those mixing engineers well, are really getting paid right. that unbelievably. Is, that was kind of you know that's sort of what made me justify the investment, like possibly yeah. rehiring my room out and also the expense of paying someone else to do it. It's like it was going to cost me more than I'd spent on mixing and mastering my album, like. I, yeah, I, like now I pride more. myself on making albums on a budget because I want to make more albums. Well, I've done, I've done the, you know, I've, I've gone to Iceland and Oslo to record. I've used like Sterling sound. I've, I've had all of the, I've lived all the dreams of making albums with no cost barred. 
And, you know, my favorite elements were the ones that like the sand that I see were done on a really tight budget. And yeah, yeah now I kind of, I want to have a long career in music and that means not spending all of your money at once. For sure. For sure. Amazing. I don't think I have any more questions, but if there's anything else you'd like to say or whatever, feel free. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, well, look, I hope you all enjoy the album. It's, um, it's, yeah, I think it has some new textures and it's, it's great having Nadia and my cousin Gab and Ben, uh, Boyson on it. Um, uh, but you know, we will see when you hear, when the listening public hears this interview, they'll also be able to hear the album in a few days. So it'll be yeah, very interesting. Absolutely. Time is a habit of passing very quickly during the COVID. So I'm sure March will be around before long, but yeah, it's been great to chat with you, Brady and Chantel. And thanks for in- yeah, really thank interesting questions and being well-researched. It's so much easier to talk absolutely. to someone that knows about the actual music and stuff. Yeah. Rather than absolutely. someone's read a press release. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Yeah, to anybody listening, um, go check out Luke Howard's music. I'm sure you've already heard it if you're listening to this. Um, but buy his records, go to Bandcamp and support. Support. <laughs> you know, comment on his stuff on social media yeah. so that uh, yeah. gets pushed by the algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.